Welcome to Fight Back Radio, the Marxist voice of labor and youth in Canada, and the best source for revolutionary analysis of current events, perspectives, and theory. The following episode is from Marxist University, a series of discussions held in the fall of 2020 to introduce people to the most fundamental and pressing Marxist ideas. With the collapse of oil prices, tens of thousands of Alberta workers have lost their jobs. Meanwhile, Jason Kenney's United Conservative Party is ruling the province with an iron fist, offloading the costs of the crisis onto the working class while crushing all opposition. In this episode, Fightback organizer Lane discusses what are the perspectives for a revolution in Alberta. So the most unpopular premier in the country right now, if you exclude the guy who was just thrown out of the frying pan and into the fire in Newfoundland, uh, you know, from the equation is Jason Kenney. In the past year, he's fallen from 61% approval rating uh, to 42% now. Uh, And actually, the Alberta NDP uh, is the second highest polling NDP province, uh, or sorry, second highest polling NDP party in terms of the provinces. Uh, after they got steamrolled last year, uh, it, although it might seem like years ago that the Alberta election took place, it was it really only was last year. Uh, and they've since moved up to actually become tied neck and neck with the UCP, 38%. There's a pretty drastic swing here that took place. Uh, and I think it's a very small reflection uh, of a swing in consciousness, uh, especially considering the pandemic. You know, if you think about it, most governments have actually enjoyed a surge in popularity or in confidence during the pandemic. Uh, Doug Ford, for example, went from having a 25% approval rating to double that to, to 50%. But Jason Kenney is one of the only ones that's gone in the opposite direction, actually. And I think the reason for that is fairly clear. And it's that the UCP government has continued to actively and enthusiastically conduct human sacrifices to maintain profits for the ruling class especially the more dominant sector of the ruling class here in Alberta, which is the oil barons. Now, these are not ritual human sacrifices or anything like that, uh, but they have shown that they have nothing but contempt for working people and the oppressed, uh, and they don't care if we live or die. They only care about profits. I'll give you a little highlight reel of some of their actions since February. So when COVID-19 came and it became clear that schools had to close to stop the spread of the virus, the UCP laid off 26,000 educational assistants and other staff. That was 1% of the province's workforce. And it's also the largest single layoff by, an, or sorry, a large, the largest layoff by a single organization in Canada's history. And this is also when the EI system was getting overloaded with millions and millions of people uh, you know, requesting EI. And they did this in the name of saving money to fight COVID-19. And they did save $128 million doing these layoffs. And it was only three days later that the UCP set aside $7.5 billion for the Keystone XL pipeline, which in itself was a huge bailout for the oil industry. They set $1.5 billion aside for an ownership stake and $6 billion in loan guarantees for a pipeline which is now tied up in courts and likely won't see the light of day. So that six billion in loan guarantees is not looking so hot. Seven and a half billion dollars is 58 and a half times
times the amount of money uh, that they saved by laying off EAs. I think this is the perfect illustration uh, of what their priorities are right there. And in terms of actually handling the virus, you know, the fighting COVID-19, UCP's lockdown was an absolute joke. Kenny actually bragged about how light the touch of the Alberta government was uh, and that 85% of businesses stayed open during lockdown as if that was a good thing. Uh, and the result is that Alberta has actually led the provinces with the highest number of cases uh, per capita for much of the pandemic. And there was also uh, some really awful outbreaks in certain workplaces, the worst which being the Cargill meatpacking plants, where you had a government inspector declare the plant safe from a video call. They refused to step foot inside the plant, and they would go on to become North America's single worst workplace outbreak uh, at that time. And despite complaints from the workers, warnings, pleas, everything, the UCP did not actually shut down the Cargill meatpacking plant. Cargill shut down themselves voluntarily. They did not want to step in the way of Cargill making any money. Uh, fun fact, the general manager of that plant, his name is Dale LaGrange. He's actually the nephew of the UCP's education minister, Adriana LaGrange. They've accelerated corporate tax cuts, which were already the lowest in Canada. With Bill 32, an attack on the labor movement, they've more or less made picketing, striking, and protesting illegal. Uh, they opened schools on a whim with no extra funds, uh, more kids, and less staff. It actually seems like the general process was just to throw, get, throw the ch kids into the building and see what happens. Also that their parents could go back to work and, and resume making their bosses more money. And so right now, 187 schools, it's probably more now since I last checked a couple hours ago, uh, 187 schools have cases of COVID-19, 47 of which have outbreaks and another seven of more than five cases. There, there's an ongoing review to actually cut the age program, the, the program for the severely handicapped in Alberta. You know, Kenny always talks about saving lives and livelihoods in terms of fighting COVID-19. I think that shows which livelihoods he cares about, not people on age, that's for sure, but the bosses. Uh, and, and perhaps the most cynical and revealing attack uh, is, is there the UCP's insistence on gutting the healthcare system so that they can take the money that goes into healthcare and give it to the oil barons all during a pandemic, right? Especially their attacks on doctors, attacks to the payment, uh, this, the payment system uh, for doctors. Uh, and now as a result, the doctors are leaving the provinces or leaving the province rather, going to other provinces. In Jason Kenney's pandemic speeches, uh, he often compares the pandemic response to the Battle of Britain, which, uh, you know, it kind of makes sense, a war analogy, uh, mobilization, things like that. Uh, but in this case, if you were to actually take the analogy to its conclusion, it would be Jason Kenney himself executing half the medics, right? It doesn't make sense. And people are seeing that and not, and they're not happy about it. Now, the health minister is arguing that doctors are not leaving, that it's fake news, that it's an NDP scare tactic, blah, blah, blah. But actually, some leaked Alberta Health Services government documents show that there are at least 160 high-risk do doctors who are high-risk to leave uh, in, the, in, the sh in the short term, uh, many of which have already given notice. And, and there have been plenty of small towns which have had uh, dozens of doctors, even like dozen at a, a dozen at a time, uh, say that they are going to close their practice. Some examples, uh, Stetler, 
12 doctors are, are leaving the province. Sundry, 14 doctors at two practices. Rocky Mountain House, 16 doctors. Crow's Nest Pass, 10. Lac La uh, this was one of the first ones. 10 out of the 11 doctors in the whole town are leaving the province. Now, there's an ongoing back and forth fight between the health minister and the doctors. Uh, and uh, one of the um, things that the, the government did in order to you know, try and separate the myth from the fact was place a fact sheet on the Alberta government website. I'll give you a couple of the myths here that they say. Myth number one, doctors are leaving Alberta because of the new physician compensation framework. It's not a myth, actually. Unfortunately, that is a fact. And then this is another interesting one. Myth, the government does not respect Alberta's doctors. I don't, I don't know where they get the myth and the fact is anyway. Um, now, to an extent, governments everywhere are prioritizing profits at the expense uh, of health and safety for working class people all throughout Canada, all throughout the world, uh, that is a fact. But I think in Alberta, it's a little bit more acute. And actually, it's very acute. In most places, the government right now isn't enthusiastically undertaking austerity measures that kill people right now. Right? For example, federally, we have Justin Trudeau. He's a decent example. He represents the uh, the more enlightened and uh, the more well-dressed bourgeoisie, if you will. And his method is, is the opposite of Jason Kenney's, right? He's kicked out his conservative uh, finance minister. He's borrowed and printed a lot of money. Uh, and when he's been, you know, uh, when he's faced a lot of pressure from below, he's actually given out a crumb or two in reforms. Now, Trudeau very much represents the ruling class. Uh, so when he is when that pressure from below eases, he does try and take the crumbs back, but he actually acknowledges the existence or the possibility of crumbs. And he is also actually pleading to the ruling class of other countries and the world to reform. For example, there's this quote, he says, the system is broken and the world is in crisis uh, and things are going to get much worse unless we change. He's basically telling them to reform before there is a revolution from below. And if you look at Jason Kenney, he seems to be the exact opposite. I think if you look a little bit deeper at the UCP, at the ruling class that they represent, and at the general situation, uh, you'll see that things have shifted. The Alberta that we live in, uh, that I live in, probably not everybody in the Zoom call, uh, is not the same Alberta that existed 20 years ago. And the oil barons for the, that the UCP represents uh, are not the same oil barons uh, that they were 20 years ago. Things have changed. The economy has changed, class relations have changed, and with that, consciousness is changing, and it's changing fairly quickly. I think it's worth it to, to outline this process and go back a little bit and talk about what has taken place. Uh, and to do that, we have to talk about oil, because Alberta's economy has lived and died by the tempo of the oil patch for the past 50 years. And since 2008, the old Alberta oil barons have slowly but surely been losing their export market. And with that, uh, you know, there's a danger of them losing their profits. There's been a general decline uh, in Chinese demand for oil, and there's been a huge boom in American shale that's pushed them out. So the solution of the oil barons at first was to crank up the volume of oil that they were selling. This might lower the price per barrel, uh, but with a higher volume, you sell more, even with a lower rate of profit, uh, there would still be a higher volume of profit, right? They'd still come away with more money. So for example, in 2008, 7.8 billion cubic meters uh, of oil was produced, and that swelled up to 
13 billion, almost double uh, by the beginning of 2014, within six years. But this strategy has its limits. And I think that became very clear in 2014 when oil prices fell through the floor. Now, this is what Marxists would call a crisis of overproduction, that we were actually too good at producing oil, that there was too much inventory, and that the market could not absorb all of it. And so we had a crisis. We had a crisis of plenty. Prices crashed, companies went bankrupt, tens of thousands of people were laid off, and oil-based economies around the world were hit very hard, Alberta included. Now, despite that, the oil barons in Alberta actually doubled down on this strategy uh, to the point where last year in December, Alberta was producing 18 billion cubic meters of oil uh, per year, exacerbating the crisis of overproduction. Right? But in order to make money throughout this process, they've been viciously cutting costs. Productivity has been jacked up. Uh, there were more layoffs. Uh, wages were cut to the as low as they possibly could be, and they attempted to scrape by selling at a discount. So for those four, six years or so, from 2014 to 2020, the oil barons could make a small profit and keep their heads above water, around $50 to $60 per barrel. But now that the overproduction of oil has actually continued and deepened, uh, and that Alberta oil is selling at around $30 per barrel, uh, things have come up against the limit, and the oil patch is in a very deep crisis. There's been a 25% drop in oil production this year alone. Right, now for a province based on oil money, uh, obviously this had a massive influence on politics and a lot of other aspects of life in Alberta. Because back when the oil money was flowing, there was stability. There was relative class peace. Uh, there were very few fights within the ruling class. But that Alberta is good and dead. And when the oil money began to turn into a trickle, the stability was replaced by crisis, by polarization, and, and in general, by the opposite, right? By instability. And now the crisis of 2008, it accelerated a division within the ruling class to an all-out split between the Wild Rose and the PC. And in 2015, uh, Alberta elected an NDP majority, actually, seemingly out of nowhere. Alberta was thought to be this reactionary haven, uh, right-wing Stephen Harper, Ernest... Um, Manning, Bible Bill, Aberhart, Canada's Texas, we can go on. Uh, but the fact is, is that this didn't come out of nowhere. Right? I think this is the economic crisis, or, or the two that took place prior to that, expressing themselves politically. Um, you know, the PC government wanted to place the, the burden of payments on the working class, wanted to unload the crisis uh, with cuts to health care and education, just like things had always been done. But working people were becoming more aware uh, that their livelihoods and that their wages were being eroded. Uh, and this crisis had this polarizing effect between two poles. On the one pole, you could call it the left pole, I guess, uh, you had progress, equality, rights, socialism, the working class pole, working class you know, wing of society. Uh, and on the right, on the other side, uh, you had austerity, barbarism, oppression. You can call that the bourgeois wing. Now, there wasn't enough money to buy class peace anymore. And so the whole of society had to actually pick a side. And this polarization is something that's taken place, you know, albeit unevenly, all around the world. But in Alberta, it happened uh, early and quickly, uh, as with you know, the economic crisis. 
And the NDP victory showed that. I think it was a turning point for the class struggle in Alberta, not just some protest vote, right? And unfortunately, the NDP was unprepared or unwilling to challenge capitalism. They had illusions in working with the oil barons to rule for all of Alberta. And so they got steamrolled by the oil barons. But all the while, in the past five years or so, the general process has continued, actually. People are moving from the rural areas to the cities. The oil jobs are drying up. Uh, wages are getting lower. And, uh, employment in general is hard to come by. A lot of oil companies have given up closed operations. Alberta's GDP has stagnated or shrunk on a yearly basis. And the economy has changed drastically, right? Alberta is not the economic powerhouse that it used to be, to the point that this year, Alberta is taking a huge amount of money from Ottawa, especially in COVID stimulus. Alberta will be a net receiver of federal money for the first time in 55 years. Usually the feds collect around $20 billion or so per year from Alberta. And this time, it's actually the reverse. $22 billion is coming in. Maybe that could uh, change the Wexit people's minds make them want to stay. Uh, and with the economic change, you could really see the, the crisis uh, with some stats. Like, for example, uh, Alberta has the worst mortgage deferral cliff right now. More than one in five mortgages are being deferred, and, and those have a danger of becoming solvent. That, that is worse, actually, than the, uh, if those were to all go delinquent, that would be worse than how things were in the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis in the United States. Alberta's unemployment rate as well continues to be the highest in Canada. So all of these things, they have an effect on consciousness, you know, albeit uneven. And the thing about consciousness is that it's generally conservative. It tends to lag behind events. But you can only ignore reality for so long. Eventually, you have to face it. And eventually, consciousness does catch up to events. And the thing about the working class is when working class consciousness catches up, it catches up with a bang. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, not just with the unpopularity of the UCP, we've also had massive protests and demonstrations all over the province uh, in places you wouldn't expect. Innisfail, Alberta, Red Deer, Fort McMurray, every little dot and small town, uh, for example, during the Black Lives Matter movement had a demonstration. Uh, in Edmonton, the, it was the biggest demo in a long, long time, around 15,000 people. And actually in the past, uh, as a socialist organizer here, we tend to, you know, meet people who got interested in socialism uh, because they were radicalized by international events. You know, Bernie Sanders, Donald Trump, Corbyn, Brexit, the Jojon movement in France. But now it, it seems to be that actually events in Alberta have a radicalizing effect here and actually throughout Canada. Uh, and to give an, another example uh, of the change in consciousness, 51% of Albertans believe the province should transition away from oil and gas and move towards renewable energy. A poll was taken this, this spring, 51%, that's a majority. So don't let the, uh, the right wing tell you that Alberta is a reactionary haven. We love oil and gas and everything, 51%. The situation has changed. Consciousness has shifted. It is catching up with events. And yet the UCP and the ruling class that they represent do not want to budge. They insist on trying to rule in the same crass and vulgar way as if nothing had changed. I think you can see this from some of the comments that they make. Right? Kenny suggested in the legislature that uh, teachers should tidy up their workplaces because, of course, school boards had to lay off all the janitors because of their cuts. 
the logical conclusion of that, and, and this is happening, the logical conclusion is that you have unlabeled bottles of dangerous cleaner uh, chemicals like Oxibar that are used by teachers who, who've never read the data sheet and don't understand how it works and how dangerous it could be. Uh, about the whole school reopening, you know, the education minister said that the, the plan is working. Uh, I, yeah, I think that's, uh, that's quite ridiculous, right, that, that she is defending it. There's not even a, an admission that there's a problem. There's, of course, the example of Tyler Shandro, who's the health minister in Alberta. He, he owns a private health insurance company with his wife, and some of his hobbies include looking up doctors' information illegally, uh, going to their house, and screaming and crying at them when they argue online against his efforts to privatize health care. This guy has an anger problem. I, I highly recommend everybody go on YouTube and look up Tyler Shandro responding to journalists because he is, he is unhinged. Uh, there was the example the other day. You had a UCP MLA say that uh, that people were using the CERB to buy cheesies. I remember that specifically. Illegal drugs uh, and something else, right? Uh, it, there's there's got to be tens of thousands of laid off workers, probably in heavy industry. Uh, a lot of them up north, where the UCP's base, you know, who have been taking the CERB. And, and look at you know UCP MLAs who are saying things like this, uh, and, and that's that has an effect. And of course, you have the finance minister. I'll, I'll read this phrase. He, he continues to repeat it in some iteration in one way or another. Uh, and I think this indicates that they refuse to, to change tax, even with the pandemic. Um, th this is the phrase that he uses, the most recent iteration. He says, the pandemic, the energy price war, and the global economic contraction blindsided our economy, just as it was beginning to show signs of improvement and approaching pre-recession levels of economic activity. And usually, of course, this is combined with some lie that their corporate tax cuts were working or something and bringing in investment. And this, this phrase really reminds me of the scene from the American version of The Office. I'll keep it short for those who haven't seen it. Uh, but Jim pulls a prank on Dwight so that his drawers only open three inches and, and Dwight's struggling to open the drawer. And he's like, oh, man, come on, just just when we were really getting going. That's, that's how I imagine Taze is saying this. But the fact is, is that every single word is a complete lie. There was absolutely no way they were approaching pre-recession levels of economic activity. Uh, they were showing no signs of improvement. Actually, 2019 was the worst year for investment in the provinces in the, in the past five years in the province. Alberta had been on a terminal decline up to that point. There was no sign whatsoever. Uh, sorry, I'm a little bit worked up about that one. And I think these things, they show the UC, that uh, the UCP has a refusal to reform or adapt to the situation. And in some cases, actually just ignore reality to their best efforts. They're, they're mimicking their bosses, the oil barons, with their short-sightedness. So they've essentially turned into high-stakes gamblers, and they're selling tomorrow for today. And to a small extent, uh, they have actually changed a few things, but only slightly. Right? They've taken up a, a big budget deficit this year, one that they weren't planning to, to pay for their corporate tax cuts. And they also postpone, postponed laying off nurses, around 750 of them, and a few other counter reforms, because these things were not really options. Uh, they, they would have you know, erupted, they would have um, triggered so much anger uh, that, that pitchforks might have been coming a little bit early for them. Uh, but they've more or less stuck to their plan, stuck to their guns, uh, where other provincial governments would not. So far as I know, they're the only government that has actually contributed to no fund, contributed no funding 
to their school reopening. School boards this year opened up with more students and less money than they had two years ago and uh, the pandemic, of course, which they have to contend with. So there is a general uptick in the class struggle and we can expect this to get bigger as the UCP cuts get deeper, uh, as, the, as the crisis gets deeper. You know, for example, at a demo uh, late last year, uh, around 1,500 people actually began chanting from the crowd, uh, calling for a general strike. Kenny even actually had to address these calls for the general strike at the UCP convention. And, and he, he pleaded to the unions to, to collaborate with the government instead of fighting it. Uh, there's a huge amount of anger, especially concentrated within the public sector. Uh, in schools and in hospitals. You know, for example, there's a poll conducted by the ATA, the Teachers Union, uh, of 1,600 teachers, and it showed that 94% of teachers felt extreme and unsustainable levels of fatigue. We've made it 10% through the school year. If there's extreme and unsustainable levels of fatigue, uh, this cannot go on, right? Something has to actually reach a breaking point here. Um, and of course, the same is true very much so with hospitals. Uh, there's an enormous surgery backlog, all of the stress of the pandemic and all of the stress of the cuts. This is the kind of thing that revolutions are made of. Consciousness catching up to events, economic crisis, uh, and a ruling class that's unwilling to change. And it has the ability to actually move faster than we can expect. This situation is one that reminds me, uh, actually, of the decline of the British Empire, strangely enough, especially during the 1920s. British people, just like Albertans, were thought to be conservative. It's thought to be a bastion of reaction. Uh, you know, it was said in Britain that, you know, change was very gradual. British capitalism was strong and stable. Uh, and, you know, it was based on its industry. On, on the surface, it seemed like that, right, based off of its industry, uh, based off of the colonies. But over a period of time, uh, the basis for that stability was slowly undermined. The wealth from the colonies dried up or was eventually cut off. And Britain was outstripped economically by France, Germany, the United States. And following World War I, uh, its economy stagnated. And from stability, it turned to instability. The ruling class tried to pass the economic burden onto the working class, attacking wages, especially in the mines. Uh, and eventually, the British working class stood up to these attacks. Consciousness caught up with events, uh, and they led fierce class battles that actually culminated in a general strike, which very well could have overthrown uh, and ended British capitalism. And this is an interesting tidbit. Listen to this one. The Trades Dispute uh, and Trade Unions Act in 1927 in Britain banned sympathy strikes mass picket and mass picketing and created a system whereby trade union members had to opt in to paying the political levy to the Labour Party. Uh, if you pay attention to, the Alberta, to Alberta politics, all three of these things were actually preeminently done by the UCP in Bill 32. Uh, optional opt-in pay to the NDP, banning sympathy strikes, and banning mass picketing. Now, guess what? Making pickets illegal didn't stop them, uh, and it probably won't here in Alberta as well. Now, now, every historical parallel has its limits, right? But just like the British workers in 1926, the Alberta working class is going to move in a big way at some point. And once they do, there's no rule, uh, there's no law, there's no hypothetical provincial police force uh, that Jason Kenney can actually subdue with them. 
subdue them with rather. But also like the British workers, um, they need to be armed actually with proper ideas and proper methods to defeat uh, Jason Kenney. In 1926 in Great Britain, things did go a different way. Even though the, Briti the British workers had more than enough energy uh, and sacrifice to actually do the job and to overthrow the regime, they were sold out by their leaders on the Trade Union Congress. Uh, and that energy dissipated and they were left demoralized uh, and defeated. To defeat Jason Kenney, uh, to overthrow him, to grab him by the ankles and throw him in a tailings pond, which I think is a, an important demand for the working class, the movement in Alberta needs to be armed with militant ideas and correct ideas and Marxist ideas. And that's something uh, that we want to help with. And if you want to give us a hand, we'll be happy to have you. Thank you for listening to Fight Back Radio. Fight Back is a revolutionary organization fighting for the socialist transformation of society. We are the Canadian section of the international Marxist tendency. We actively seek to educate workers and youth in the genuine ideas of Marxism in order to fight back against capitalist attacks and austerity and bring an end to capitalism. However, we won't be able to do this alone. So if you agree with us, get involved. You can be found online at marxist.ca, on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok at Canada Marxists, on Instagram at Socialist Fightback, and on YouTube as Fightback La Repos. For international news and analysis, check out In Defense of Marxism at marxist.com. The music in this episode is General Strike by Soul Jazz Orchestra. It can be found at souljazzorchestra.com.